Angelica has this painting hanging on her wall in her current apartment. Like, we didn't have no artwork when we mm -hmm. moved. We had, like, our basic, we had a bed, a dresser. It's big, a few feet in each direction, but this isn't an original or anything. That is from Ikea. Really? Yes. I wouldn't have guessed. That is from Ikea. That is my motivational poster. Huh. I don't take it down. I need it to be everywhere. It depicts a rainforest scene. Okay, so I'm assuming it's somewhere in the Amazon or something. The centerpiece of the painting is a rope bridge, spanning a large distance between two cliffs. One end of the bridge is right in front of the viewer, as if inviting you to take a step. It looks rickety, unstable. It's the kind of scene that's just begging for an overwrought metaphorical interpretation, which is probably why it was mass-produced in the first place, but also probably why Angelica reacted so strongly to it when she first saw it in Ikea. That's your journey. You never know if one of those pieces of wood is going to snap. You don't know what's underneath it, so you don't know if there's crocodiles underneath you, if there's a bed of roses underneath you, you don't know. The other end of the bridge nearly disappears into the horizon line. On the opposite side, there's an inviting green forest. I like to think of it as my goals. <laughs> everything um, that I hope for, everything that I wish for, the house, the dog, my son graduating college, my daughter graduating college eventually, um, finding true love and getting married, you know, which I'll probably get married at 80, like right before I die, but buying a motorcycle, and so that's my little motivation. So I just look and be like, this is my way of being onto the journey, you know, where I need to be and be okay. I was gonna ask you um, what you thought was on the other side. I don't know. I'm hoping when I cross this bridge and I get to the other side, that's everything that I needed to accomplish and achieve hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Be satisfied. Did that all come to you like when you saw this at Ikea? Yeah. Really? When I looked at it, I said, that's me. Huh. I was where I'm at and I know where I want to be at and I can see where I want to be at and this is what I'm going to have to cross. So, you know, each one of these pieces of wood can represent homelessness, not having a job, losing my father, losing my ex, finding inner peace, losing my relationships with people, creating my own family, but having to push my own real family to the side, rebuilding my relationship with my son, losing my son. You know, all of these are each piece of wood represented something of a factor of my life. So when I saw it, I was like, this is me. Hmm. I need it. I want it. I'm getting it. And even through homelessness, this picture has lasted. <laughs> through homelessness? Yeah. Jumping a few wooden slots back in time to where we last left Angelica's story, this painting was hanging on another wall. Angelica and her newborn daughter, Strawberry, were crashing with friends, about to get kicked out again. She decided she was done depending on people she couldn't trust, even if that meant starting at the bottom. For the very first time in her life, Angelica chose to be homeless. So I rolled it up, I put it in a bag until I moved here, and then I took it out. And wow. that was the first thing on the wall. 
from Rivet and Streetwise. This is where I stay. I'm Jesse Patend, and I just want to say thank you for making it this far with us. On this last episode of the first season of Where I Stay, Angelica and her son Anthony finally meet. Episode 8, You're So Different. Okay, I got a newborn baby. Uh, I'm sleeping on the floor and stuff like that. This is not where I see myself. So I ended up going to an agency called Trina Davila. And um, I told them, you know, I was homeless. Realistically, I'm, I am homeless and stuff. I'm sleeping on the floor of other people's house. And at any point, they could tell me, okay, get out. This is the shelter. Trina Davila ended up um, finding me space at Lena Washington. This is the one that I lived at. Hmm. Um, this, the white fence has always been a park in there, but the park was really crappy. Hmm. I ended up going there. Um, every morning I would get up and leave and come back right before curfew. The lady that lived in this brown building, she had a community farm um, in that lot that's overgrown now. Hmm. Um, and she had chickens and stuff like that and she would go and get eggs and stuff and then put them out on a table that people could come and get eggs, fresh eggs hmm. and you know vegetables and stuff. I don't know what happened to her as you can see you know it's overgrown so yeah, that was the end of that. I ended up getting psychiatric care. His name was Ernie Full of Love. That was my case worker. <laughs> I always love his name because of Full of Love. The main recurring theme of their sessions was what it would be like to finally meet her son, Anthony. We talked about it at every therapy session, every counseling session. What would that interaction be like? What was I hoping for? What was I hoping for him and stuff like that? And how, when that day appeared, how would I present myself? What did I want to look like to him? How was I going to explain the situation to him? Wow. There's a lot of things that he doesn't know. He doesn't know about my mother wanting to put him up for adoption. He doesn't know about, you know, my extents in prison. He doesn't know about the whole prostitution issues and stuff and the life that I lived in those aspects. He doesn't even know the relationship I had with my mother, you know, when I was younger. The team at the shelter looked into what they could do to reunite Angelica and her son. And unfortunately, Iowa said there's nothing I could do about it because the rights were terminated, regardless of what was going on. Terminations are final. If Angelica wanted her son back in her life, she'd have to go through her mother. I would either have to contact my mother and my mother would have to um, say that it was okay for me to see my son or I would have to wait till my son was 18. She spent a lot of time thinking about both sides of her rope bridge. The mention of my mother instantly made my blood boil. During therapy, it was a lot of talking about my son, what I was looking forward to in the future and what that might look like. 
Besides the time we spent talking about that painting, there were other moments from the first day that I met Angelica that I've come over time to see differently. Jew, I feed the homeless every day and call my daughter. She has no job. For instance, that first day, Angelica took me on a tour of the neighborhood. You got a liquor store? <laughs> I always find a liquor store in the hood. We drove through Humboldt Park, where Angelica played when she visited her dad in the summer. So growing up, none of this stuff was here. Today, it's a beautiful park on Chicago's west side. But a lot of the structures that are there today weren't there back then. Instead, the only thing was at the field house. The field house back there, there's like a little beach. In the middle of Humboldt Park is a small man-made beach. Growing up, I wasn't allowed to go to the beach because it was like every summer they would find a body in there from the winter time. So we were like, no, you're never allowed to go in there. And so we just wow. never played in that water. <laughs> uh, that's not the beach that's over here now, right? Because I've definitely gone swimming in that beach a bunch of times. The one in the field house? I'm not sure. You got a big castle looking thing? Yeah, and it's in the back? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, where they like used to find the bodies. I've drunk that water. <laughs> oh. Well, hopefully, he'll be okay, I think. <laughs> it's been like, I don't know how long dead body germs last. <laughs> I wasn't sure exactly why Angelica was showing me this. Was she trying to freak me out? Heading south, our next stop was Garfield Park Lagoon, less than a mile away. So that's the park where a couple years ago they found um, a three-year-old dismembered. So um, they ended up having to drain the whole entire thing, um, the lagoon, so that they could find the child's um, missing body parts. In September of 2015, police found a child's left foot floating in the Garfield Park Lagoon. The victim turned out to be two-year-old Kirian Knox whose mother left him in a family friend's care. I don't remember what um, body part got pushed up on the side, but they found a black garbage bag, and when they looked in it, it was um, a three-year-old. And they have put, like, you know, missing child and all that other stuff, and you're trying to figure out. Kirian's mother and her friend, also a young mom, were traveling to Iowa. They planned to get an apartment and raise their children there together. So Kirian's mother arranged for her friend's dad to watch him while she'd be gone. So they had all this cut off and was draining out the lagoon or to find the rest of his body parts wow. at three. So you, I, I, don't, I don't know what the heck a three-year-old could have did that would get to the point where you would chop a child up in pieces, let alone what is going through your brain while you're dismembering a three-year-old child. Mm -hmm. And so, so, yeah, that was a couple years ago. It's crazy. Police suspected Kamel Harris, the man who'd been watching the two-year-old. And in November of 2016, he was arrested. Nearly four years later, in May of 2019, a jury found Harris not guilty. What does a story like that do to like a community? Like when people know that and they're aware of that and like, you know, the kids can't go swimming because maybe there's dead bodies and uh... It puts everybody I mean, on edge. Yeah. You know, you think about 
you being a child being active and wanting to do things and stuff and then being told no because of a situation that occurred in your neighborhood you know people don't respect the neighborhood so then what happens it's going to continue and it's boiling over and boiling over and it's lost i'm like now i'm just driving <laughs> we drove in silence for a few minutes when we started talking again the conversation turned to shelter life you have to fully understand that you need to protect yours you know what i'm saying um a lot of times in the shelter things that we've had we've occurred were people that leave other people their children and said, oh, will you watch my, my child? Because you're my friend. You don't know the history. I don't care how much you talk to this person and how you guys, you know, break bread together on a regular basis and stuff. You still don't know them. Knowing what I now know about Angelica's story, I started to feel like this was more than a random tour of childhood haunts. It felt like she'd been illustrating a point. Is there a connection there for you? Or is that just me drawing a connection? Like- I think everything gives me a connection. And that is one that I will never wrap my hands around. Mm-hmm. And how people feel so comfortable in just leaving their child with individuals. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not even with my crazy psyche self. In your brain, you always think that your mother will be doing the best for your child. But at the same time, you never know. Then Angelica got a life-changing opportunity. I could kind of like paint the story. When I first started working in 2010, we were a 22-bed shelter on the west side of Chicago. That's Carla Dudley, Angelica's caseworker after she came to in 2013. In 2013, we expanded to a 12-unit permanent supportive housing program. The program gave homeless families an apartment for a manageable percentage of their income. Most importantly, they were never asked to leave. Carla's job was to find candidates for this new program. Some people were where they said they were going to be, and some people weren't. Angelica was where she said she was. She was at um, a shelter on the west side of Chicago. One day, Angelica's caseworker, Mr. Full of Love, called her. He ended up calling me like a couple months after I had been at the shelter and was like, look, why aren't you replying? They've been trying to contact you. Her name's Carla. So luckily, he gave me um, Carla's number. I mean, she was on it. She got us everything that we asked for. Here, here's my stuff. When I met Angelica, she was like a ray of hope. Angelica's newborn daughter, Strawberry, came too. She has the cutest little daughter, and I think she mm-hmm. thought her daughter would win us over. <laughs> <laughs> so That so, sounds like Angelica. Yes, and uh, I don't know if you met Strawberry, but she is just adorable. She was very emotional in the interview yeah, because she had been through so much and she was so close to getting housed that she can just taste it. But at the same time, um, you know, it was a hurry up and wait like, okay, we need this right now, but we'll get back to you, you know, when we make our decision. They finished the interview and Carla told Angelica they'd get back to her. She ended up calling me and telling me that I was accepted and um, that my rent was going to be $74. It was either 74 or 78 bucks. Um, and that was my 30% of my income. But there was a problem. I had a portion of it and I was short $25. 
So I'm like, man, I'm going to lose this opportunity. I'm not going to be able to live there. Walking back to the shelter, unsure what to do, she passed a familiar face. So I was walking back to Lena, Washington, and um, there was a drug dealer out there. Every time he saw me, he's like, you don't belong here. This is not the type of neighborhood you should be at. You don't belong here. So he ended up seeing me and he's like, you still here, why? Angelica told him the whole story. I broke it down to him. I'm like, look, you know, I have an opportunity to move into this low income housing and stuff, but I'm short $25. Without even seeming to think about it. He reached in his pocket, he gave me $25 and said, you don't have no reason to be here anymore. I ended up moving in like around the 17th of June which was fine with me. I didn't care. I just wanted to leave. On the day of the move, Angelica was ready to go. I want to say she had some furniture that she wanted to bring. I had everything fully loaded in that car. One of the employees at the shelter is like, you don't have to take everything all at once. I'm like, the hell I don't. And so I was like, I don't care if I have to put this stuff on the roof of this car. I'm not leaving nothing behind. So yeah, I you know, vividly remember her. People needed the supportive housing for various reasons. And so hers, I, I felt like was more um, for safety and for the support. I, I felt like she had the people skills. She had, you know, interpersonal skills. You mm-hmm. know, she, she, somebody did a good job with her. So I don't know if the streets did (laughs) because, you know, she was out there in the streets, you know. So by the time we saw her, I felt like we were the next phase and her getting to where she needed to be. And so the transition was like flawless. A few years go by. Angelica settles into her role. Then in 2017, she got a mysterious message on Facebook. My cousin ended up sending me a, um, a message on Facebook to call her as soon as possible. Angelica had stopped talking to most of her family after her father's funeral seven years earlier. But she was curious, so she wrote back to see what was up. My cousin was like, hey, um, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a great spot. She's like, um, I, I need your number. I don't have a number on you. She was suspicious, but curiosity won out. So I send the message. Just then, Angelica got a text from her brother's wife, also asking for her number. I'm like, what the fuck? What's going on? Everybody wants my number all of a sudden. So I send it to her and stuff, and I didn't hear nothing. A couple days go by. And then um, one day I got a phone call, and it was my son. He was like, hi, Mom. And I'm like... Who is this? And he's like, your son. And I'm like, hi. Like, I didn't know what to do. Do I throw my phone? Do I scream? Do I'm like, pass out? What do I do? I was like, Anthony? And he's like, yeah, what you doing? And so we just kind of started talking. They switched to video chatting so they could see each other. The two fumbled through an awkward conversation and then said goodbye. Afterwards, I I had to go downstairs and talk to my case manager and stuff about the whole conversation and and everything else. For Angelica, the entire experience was overwhelming. 
I'm pretty sure it was overwhelming for him, but it was also overwhelming for me. It brought back like the what ifs questions and stuff, which is in a sense scary because you don't know when them questions come up. And then because we've been apart from each other so long, you know, when is it appropriate to call him my son? You know what I'm saying? Does he have animosity towards it? You know, if I was like, oh, hey, son, is he going to say, um, I'm not your son. You didn't raise me. You know what I'm saying? Or um, what is it going to look like if he calls me mom and stuff? Or what about if he never calls me mom? What about if he just calls me Angelica for the rest of my life or Lala and stuff or, you know, What's it going to look like? Do do I tell him that I love him first? Or is that going to be overwhelming for him hmm. and stuff and bring other emotions for him of like, you know, back to that hatred and stuff. And that's what I was expecting. I was expecting for him to have some type of anger and animosity. And he didn't. He had a pure heart. He took it for what it was. Okay, you're here now. And we're just going to forget everything in the past. They continued talking on the phone, breaking more ground each time. You know, I, I, I told him, I was like, I love you. You don't have to tell me that you love me back, but just know that I loved you and I always loved you. And um, then eventually he's like, hey, mom, you know, and he's like, OK, I love you. Tell my little sister I love her. And I'm like, OK, cool. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I let him ease into it because I didn't want to pressure him into anything. As they talked, some of Angelica's suspicions were confirmed. My mother and my my middle brother have never let me live down the past. I've always been the villain. He verbally let me know that my mother was against him contacting me in any way, shape, or form. In February 2018, Angelica planned a trip back to Iowa to visit Anthony at his college dorm. I took the whole weekend, got a hotel room, went on his college college campus. When Angelica got to the campus, she started asking around. Eventually, she ran into a group of Anthony's friends. So I was like, yeah, I'm looking for Anthony Burgos. The guys look confused. Then something clicks. They're like, dude, Anthony got a girl. And oh, I'm no. like, what? <laughs> I'm like, dude, who? I haven't heard dude in so long. And they're like, dude, Anthony got a girl here. I think that's his girlfriend that we ain't seen and stuff and i'm like i can hear you first of all and second of all i'm his mother the whole group tracks anthony down which i can only assume must have been an extremely weird experience for him i allowed him to initiate the hug with a bunch of college buds around this was not quite the sentimental slow score movie moment you might be picturing <sighs> like anthony your mom is young what were you expecting? Old lady and stuff, they got, you know, her pants all the way up to her saggy boobs <laughs> or something. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm still young, honey. This is his sister. You have a little sister. Like, she really little. And I'm like, okay, you guys are getting really excited about some really weird things. But okay. <laughs> the whole group went back to Anthony's dorm, where, according to Angelica, things just got weirder. He's, um really into video games online. A night for him is playing ping pong at the dorm and playing whatever game, I keep forgetting what it is called, 
but like even his friends they're like oh the vortex just collapsed and and i'm like who what he's like and then his other friends like well see in this galaxy we have this and we have i'm like what it's like okay i'll let that be you can have that i don't understand nothing anthony knew he had a sister he'd never met his cousin naya angelica's brother's daughter had showed him a picture on Facebook. He's like, I would have reached out sooner, but when grandma found out that Naya showed me the pictures of my sister and you, she freaked out and told Naya she wasn't allowed to come in the house anymore. Wow. So I'm like, what the fuck? So um, I was like, well, that's done. It's over with. You know, I, I now it's us, team us. You can't hold us back now. He's very um, Iowa-ized, I guess you can say. What does that mean? Like here, you could tell my kids are completely opposite and they were raised completely opposite. Strawberry is very outspoken and she says what she wants to say. And like, you know, she knows how to whip and nay-nay and all this other stuff. Mm my son is into the computers and he's instead of like oh shit he says oh boy i'm like did you just say oh boy and he's like yeah and he's like oh boy i'm like yeah you can tell we are two different you were raised somewhere way different from here there were things they had in common for instance their love of shoes He's like, yeah, I got them in this color, this color. I'm like, okay. But for the most part, they were of opposite galaxies, so to speak. He doesn't wear any baggy pants. They're all like form fitting. And he wears a lot of hoodies for some odd reason, but they're fitted hoodies. They're not overly baggy. And I'm like, oh, okay. You're different, but that's okay. <laughs> was that weird? Like, what was that to like? To me, it is. To see him. Because it's um, the community that I'm living at now, you don't see that. You see that more in the white neighborhoods, you yeah. know, the suburbs. You see all of that. And to know that I'm not his norm and stuff, like, he doesn't see people sagging pants, he doesn't see the baggy clothes. He doesn't see hear a lot of people using the terminologies that we use here in Chicago. He's like, okay, well, you're a little different, mom. And I'm like, yeah, and you're really different, son. <laughs> he never was explained who his biological father was, so I got to tell him who his real father is wow. and how that all happened. He didn't even know he had a nickname when he was younger. And stuff. I never liked the name Tony, so I called him Noni. <laughs> so he's like, I didn't know that. Nobody ever calls me that. I was like, yeah, your nickname is Noni. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, okay. Then, <laughs> <laughs> that is weird to be like, oh, no, you have a nickname. Like, like, you have a nickname, honey. All right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony and his friends went back to playing video games while Angelica watched. As they played, the boys started talking about a new game they were looking forward to. My son's like, oh, I'm going to save my money so I could order it and stuff. I'm like, what are you ordering? He's like, it's a game that's coming out like the day after my birthday <laughs> and I want it and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, get it. And then he's like, 
no, it's okay, mom. You don't have to buy it. And I'm like, look, I missed out on a shitload of birthdays, Christmases, and some more stuff. Let me buy you the game. And stuff. So he's like, but it's expensive. I'm like, here's my credit card. Here's my debit card. Buy the game. And then he's like, no, for real, mom, you don't have to. I said, okay, so either one way or another, either I give you the $60 or you're going to buy the game. One of the two. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll buy the game. So he ended up buying it online. And he's like, I got the game, dude. I got the game. And I'm like, oh, my God, y'all getting really excited about some really weird stuff to me. <laughs> but Angelica was far from done. I took him to Walmart and stuff. I'm like, oh, first of all, I'm going to get you some plugins because you and your roommate's room smell funky. <laughs> and stuff. He's like, you don't have to, Mom. I'm like, oh, yes, I do. Anthony tries to refuse any more gifts. His friends who tagged along and are absolutely loving every minute of this are standing around. One of them blurts out. He likes white chocolate. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> She grabs a box of candies. Here, what about this? He's like, no, it's okay, mom. I don't want you to spend your money. Angelica gives his friend a look, like, help me out here. The friend takes the cue. He's like, he likes this. He likes this. Ah. And we're putting it in the cart. Angelica loads all of them into the cart. Anthony protesting all the while. He's like, mom, you don't have to. I said, I know what I don't have to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm like, I'm the boss, not you. Anthony's like, save the money for my sister. I say, do you see she's not even in this aisle with us? She's in the next aisle picking out picking stuff out already. <laughs> she comes back with two boxes of cereal, some chips. And I'm like, this is and this is what you're telling me to save my money for. I'm like, <laughs> with the fun stuff out of the way, Angelica gets to momming. I'm like, do you need hygiene stuff? He's like, no, strawberries. Like, I want some bath bombs. I'm like, dude, like, come on now. This kid just wanted a $60 game that he wanted to save his money to get. Like, hmm. you're worried about your sister. She's fine. She got enough crap. Over the course of the weekend, they started to broach some of the heavier topics. We just talked about everything in life and anything he had questions about and stuff and explained everything kind of to him. Of course, I left out the part of him, my mother trying to put him up for adoption because I think there's some facts that just need to be subsided. Yeah. Of course, there were parts of the story that Anthony didn't know he didn't know. And Angelica wasn't sure how much she was planning to tell him. The moment came and then passed. And so that was when I decided to opt out and stuff. Because after all, you know, regardless of how she did it, she did raise my son. And, you know, I appreciate who he has became mm -hmm. because of how she raised him. Um, I still have anger and animosity towards her. Sure. Especially like after he told me some stories, he told one specifically of he didn't want to eat the food that she had cooked. And so she locked him downstairs in the basement with the food Whoa. and he's like i hate basements and i'm like this bitch traumatized my yeah, that's... my son so it's like i go back and forth and i'm like okay back going into the positive thinking he's a junior he's in college he's doing good i'm not a grandma yay <laughs> you know stuff like that and then every so often things will slip through and i'm like she put my son in the basement you know how dare she she took my son from me how dare she and stuff and then i'm like okay just let it be you know all mm. things will prevail eventually so yeah 
Yeah. But I haven't seen my mother in eight years. Hmm. Soon to be eight or nine years. What was it like to have that he, conversation? He actually doesn't ask any questions. Really? He's just really open and just just was listening. Mm-hmm. And stuff, and he got like he was laughing at a, like some of the things that we talked about. So it's like he has an open mind, he has an open heart, and he's like, I just want to know what's you know you're here now, and so we can't do nothing about the past and stuff. So where do we go from here? At no point he's never said, well, you've never been there for me and stuff. It's like, hey, mom. The day before I left was when I kind of opened up a little bit more and kind of shared a little bit more information. And then there's just certain things that I don't think I'll ever volunteer to share because my personal opinion about my mother shouldn't reflect his personal opinion of her. Does he know why you weren't in his life? I don't know. We never talked about it. Hmm. never talked about it. That's just a conversation that you're going to have to feel out. Yeah, whenever he gets ready and he asks, then I'll answer. But if he doesn't ask, I won't give him the answer. The family said goodbye. Angelica and Strawberry got back in the car, headed for Chicago. For Angelica, the drive back was a mix of emotions. It's like bittersweet. Yeah. I can't wait till he's like fully, fully grown and stuff and he comes to Chicago and stuff like that. And then I could be like that whole show off my son at school, my show and tell. And so <laughs> this is my son. <laughs> and stuff. So have you guys talked about what happens after college and no, no we haven't got that far yet but the family talks all the time strawberry always talks about him and stuff she's like when are we going back to iowa to see him i'm like oh when we get some money together we'll go <laughs> and then she's like okay then she's like can i call my brother or they'll facebook video chat each other and stuff like that so i'm like oh boy and she's like it's my brother (laughs) while the drive home from meeting anthony was bittersweet the actual place that angelica was heading was safe and comforting while the future was as ever uncertain for once she had solid ground to return to and that had everything to do with angelica's chosen family among them, her co-workers, LaShonda Brown and Tanya Gray. And even up to this day, I still get the the parenting aspect from Tanya and Brown. <laughs> and so Brown acts more like my auntie. And so Tanya's more of my mom. Um, she, she has a way to look at me and stuff without saying anything and making me cry <laughs> and stuff. And I'm like, why do you do this? And she's like, I didn't say anything. All I said was hi. And I was like, you know what you're doing. No. And, stuff. and so um, I'm still real, real close with them. She loves to take care of people. I would say that. Angelica's coworker and chosen aunt. LaShonda Brown. You call Angelica, hey, I'm going to have a Mother's Day celebration. Can you make me some cupcakes? She comes with 100 cupcakes and chocolate-covered strawberries. <laughs> Seriously, she will do so because oh, for her, she knows what it's like to not have 
Mother's Day or anybody support her mm-hmm. for Mother's Day. I've lived their life. I know what they're going through. I know, you know, what it feels like to be in a shelter. I know what it feels like to be at other people's homes and being displaced from their homes. I know what it is to do whatever I need to do to survive. And it puts me at at an even playing field with them and stuff. I'm not threatening. I'm not intimidating. Look, I ain't got the college education to fix nothing. But we're going to figure this out together. They don't see me as a threat. They see me as an equal. In her current role, Angelica can foster unique relationships. She can help people without the threat of being separated from a family if they change shelters or get kicked out of a program. I go to multiple shelters and I do the parenting and now case management um, with families that have either been in multiple shelters in a short period of time or have been in a shelter for a long period of time Um, and regardless of what shelter they go to I follow with them. She's also helping develop a new program that brings parents, school staff, mental health professionals and social workers together to better address the needs of kids with mental illness. I help express and ensure that the family's needs are being voiced and heard and stuff. So when they can't speak up for themselves, I speak up for them. I did want to ask you how, if you had the choice, how you would choose to end your story. And I do think that um, end of my story. Yeah. Okay. This and, is just a new chapter, baby. <laughs> this okay, is just okay. the beginning. How how to end this story <laughs> and this chapter of your story? Um, at least the one that we're trying to tell. Uh, w- one thing that does kind of strike me is that, um, and you said you you said it, but it kind of sounds like the position that you're in now mm-hmm. is being the person that you needed throughout your own life yeah for other people is that is that accurate absolutely um i think if i had i know this is gonna sound really weird i think if i had somebody like me (laughs) (laughs) conceited um to kind of guide me and stuff like that i don't think i would have gone through as much as i did but then at the same time i'm grateful i didn't because of the fact that I wouldn't be, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today if I didn't do what I did or experience what I did. If I didn't have those four individuals in my life, Latanya, Marlene, um, Christine, um, LaShonda Brown and stuff, I don't know where I'd be at. I don't know if I'd still be like going down the wrong road or if I'd even have that support and I'd still be alone. Can you put? Nope, can't put it together in one word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not looking for one word, but like the feeling of, um, the feeling of having the opportunity to do what you're doing now, like does it, heal any of the wounds at all 
I don't think I, w- I wouldn't say it heals any of the wounds Because it's still there It just It gives me a different outlook Another possibility um, It shows me a light that I've never seen They They put a roadblock And said this road is closed You're coming down this way And stuff So They've shown me other opportunities that, hey, your your past doesn't identify who you are. It's just a situation. So all the way back, like the very first time that we talked mm-hmm. uh, when you're in your apartment. 30 years ago. 32 <laughs> million hours ago. You know, um, I came to your place and. Uh-huh. I think I asked you a question that was something along the lines of like, so how does, what does it feel like to be, to be homeless? I don't know how exactly we got there, but but you described the the feeling of being chased by a cat or having like a predator chasing you, mm-hmm. um, and kind of just feeling like you're on the run. Um, I guess I was just wondering if you still feel that feeling, and if like and it's funny that you were going to ask me that. Because <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, because when you was like being chased and stuff, I'm like, shit, I'm sitting at the bench now. I'm hanging out at the park. <laughs> and then you asked me, how does it feel now? I don't feel like I'm getting chased and Do stuff. You... I feel like I'm just, I'm at the park and stuff, like at the lakefront, just looking at the waves crash and stuff. I'm actually being having the chance to sit down and relax and being okay with where I'm at and stuff and not having to justify why I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you know when you when that feeling left you or like when you kind of stopped running? Or is it only now that you stopped that you have had the moment to Reflect on Realize it. that, yeah. Now, because you asked me about it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, stop asking me questions, okay? That's what I do. <laughs> stop making me think. Uh, no, I never sat down to think about how I'm feeling now. I think in a, I don't want to say that I'm being chased because I'm not chased anymore. Yeah. And stuff, but I'm not sitting still. So I'm getting the opportunity to sit on the bench and sing the waves, but I'm seeing the waves as where else is it gonna lead me to? You know, if you're sitting at Lake Michigan and you see the waves coming in and going out and the water pushing back and stuff, you know, if I was to get in the water, would I drift back into shore? Or would I drift in the middle of Lake Michigan somewhere and stuff and what that would actually be out there. I don't see no end. Maybe by the time I grow up, because I'm going to still claim I'm young. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, um, I don't know if you ever feel like you're at rest in life, right? Like we're always kind of in flux, but it's like, it sounds like you're at least in a place where I can like, walk and not run. And you enjoy your surroundings. Mm-hmm. That I do.
one last ghostly little story for you. Remember Angelica said that the prison she stayed in used to be an orphanage? Turns out she was mostly right. Before it was the Mitchellville Correctional Facility for Women, the site was the home of the Iowa Industrial School for Girls. Founded by the state in 1866, it was run by a Quaker teacher named Lorenzo Llewelling and his wife Angie. According to the Historical Society of Iowa, in its first 30 years, 804 girls lived at the school. Most of the girls were poor or from families that had lost one or both parents through death or divorce. Sometimes, when families had sudden problems, such as a lost job or a death in the family, a daughter was sent to Mitchellville because the family couldn't afford to keep her. But most of the girls had been sent there because they'd been labeled, quote, incorrigible, which literally means they just wouldn't follow rules. Most of the girls were between 13 and 15 years old. According to reports filed on official visits, Angie especially seemed to care about the welfare of the inmates, as they were called. She wrote to the girls after they left the school and kept an archive detailing what happened to them. One story in particular jumped out at me. Attached to one of the pages in Angie's inmate docket with a paper clip is a newspaper article telling the story of Bonnie. Bonnie, a 15-year-old, came from a wealthy family and had a good education, including piano and voice lessons, setting her apart from her fellow inmates. According to the article, Bonnie had been sent to the school because she'd put rat poison in her adopted parents' coffee pot in an attempt to murder them. When confronted with her act, Bonnie was defiant and refused to explain her actions. After her conviction for attempted murder, the governor offered to pardon her if she would agree to live in a Dubuque convent until she reached 21 years of age. But she refused the offer, so she became the only girl sent to the reform school for attempted murder. If Angelica's story took place in 1866, it's very possible her mom would have just taken Angelica straight to Mitchellville and skipped a step. According to the Asylum Project, reform schools of the past were the beginnings of the juvenile court system in Iowa. In the end, just like Bonnie, Angelica ended up at Mitchellville eventually. It just took her a little longer to get there. As of 2019, the state of Iowa does not have a juvenile facility for girls. According to the Des Moines Register, some girls are tried in juvenile court and sent to out-of-state facilities, miles from their families. Others are tried in adult court and sent to the Iowa Department of Corrections. The rest are sent to mental health or residential treatment facilities like Four Oaks. Now in the closing months of 2019, Angelica is still working with and recently got promoted. She just bought herself a motorcycle. Her son, Anthony, is finishing up his senior year in college. Angelica hopes he'll choose to live close to Chicago when he graduates, but they haven't talked about it yet. Strawberry's seventh birthday is coming up. She was a minion for Halloween. Christina Fetters, Angelica's first grade classmate who was sentenced to life at the age of 15, was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was granted a compassionate release and allowed to live for the last seven months of her life in a hospice with her family before she passed away at the age of 34. At the time of her sentencing, 
She was the youngest juvenile to receive a life sentence without the possibility of parole in the state of Iowa. Ruth Ann, the inmate who threatened Angelica when she first got to Mitchellville and who had also been convicted of murder at the age of 15, was recently denied parole in 2019. But for the past two years, she's been allowed to leave Mitchellville during the day to work a job. Angelica's mom lives in Iowa. She still has the same phone number. Where I Stay was a production of Rivet and Streetwise. The show was hosted, produced, and reported by Jesse Batend. Special thanks to Angelica and everyone who spoke with me for this project. Our theme song is The Deconstruction by Eels. Check out their new album, Earth to Dora, wherever you get your music these days. For more about Angelica, the show, and in-depth reporting about the issues discussed, follow Streetwise on social media or just pick up a copy. You can make a difference in the life of someone experiencing homelessness by texting STREETWISE to 243725. I'm Jesse Patend. Thank you for listening. Thank you.